This morning we're considering the sixth talk in our series, Church Worth Talking About, where we're looking at the church in Antioch and considering how it relates to us here in Winchester Family Church. And this morning I want us to consider the whole issue of caring for the needy. We're going to be reading from Acts chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. The words will come up on the screen behind me in a second. And uh, I'm just going to read these verses. This is what they say. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Some 30 years or so ago, my stepfather started something in Swansea called Swansea City Mission. And uh, I remember him telling me a story uh, about a guy called Blossom. Now, Blossom was uh, a a rough sleeper, lived on the streets of Swansea. And uh, he was called Blossom, unusual name, but he was called Blossom um, because uh, he used to drink meths and mix it with cherry blossom boot polish and uh, he would uh, every uh, Saturday night when my stepfather used to run something called uh, coffee bar in the church that I used to go to in Swansea he used to come in every Saturday night and Blossom would be uh, would be drunk um, on meths and would spend most of the time lying on the floor so whilst all the other people were sitting around talking chatting Um, and my stepfather was able to uh, spend some time talking to them about Jesus uh, and the gospel Uh, Blossom would be laid out on the floor and my stepfather used to say never thought he listened to a word that he said because he was unconscious most of the time now uh, a few years years later my stepfather got a phone call hadn't seen Blossom for a few months and uh, he got a phone call from the hospital and the ho- person from the hospital phoned up and said um, uh, uh, hi I wonder if uh, you, you know William Bowden and he said no sorry I don't know anyone called Will- William Bowden he said aha you may know him as Blossom he said ah oh, yes I know Blossom he said well he's actually in hospital at the moment and he's dying I wonder, and he's asking to see you would you come and see him so my stepfather uh, went up to the hospital and uh, when he got there, Blossom uh, was in bed uh, in, uh, in the ward and uh, was at uh, death's door. And Blossom said to him, he said, I don't know if you remember when I used to come in and lie on the floor in the coffee bar on a Saturday night. And he said, I used to hear everything that you said. When you used to talk about Jesus, I, I used to hear it, I was listened, and I do believe in Jesus. And my stepfather had the opportunity in that hospital ward um, to share with him uh, again about Jesus, prayed with him, and Blossom came to faith, became a Christian 
Now, quite miraculously, as my stepfather prayed for him, he, he recovered, uh, enabled, he was enabled to come out of hospital and lived for another 18 months and worked for uh, another church in Swansea where he uh, helped in a home that looked after people who'd been in a similar position to himself. Why do I share that story? It's because God cares for the poor. God cares for those who are needy. In Proverbs chapter 14 verse 31, um, the writer tells us, He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honours God. We want to be a church here that honours God. One of the evident characteristics of the early church after the day of Pentecost was its remarkable level of care for the poor and the needy, and we see that in the early chapters of Acts. They shared life together such that we're told there was no needy persons among them. The believers, including Barnabas, sold possessions to give the the proceeds to the leaders of the church for them to use where there were needs. This church in Antioch was no different. And this morning we've read how some of the prophets from Jerusalem arrived in the church and one of them, called Agabus, prophesied that there would be a severe famine in the entire Roman world. F.F. Bruce, in his commentary, says that this period was marked by a succession of bad harvest and serious famines in various parts of the empire. And in response to these serious uh, needs, the Antioch believers decided to provide help for the church in Judea. And each person gave we're told, according to his ability. Caring for the needy was a high value for them. Now you may wonder, uh, what did Antioch look like? Well, I want to tell you that Antioch looked nothing like the Roman cities that we've seen portrayed in Hollywood films. Whenever we see them, it always they look pristine, clean, really impressive architecture. Well, actually, they look nothing like that. John Pollock Uh, in his book The Apostle tells us that Antioch was an amalgam of splendour and poverty. The sociologist Rodney Stark in his book The Rise of Christianity estimates that the walled city of Antioch was only two miles long and one mile wide and yet within this tiny little area it had an estimated population of around 150,000 people living within its walls by the end of the first century. The density per square mile was higher than present-day Mumbai in India. And if you've ever been to Mumbai, you will know how densely populated Mumbai is. So Antioch was a very crowded city, had narrow streets, high levels of pollution and disease, and the average life expectancy has been estimated at being under 30 years of age. Rodney Stark goes on to say this. This quote will come up on the screen behind Any accurate portrait of Antioch in New Testament times must depict a city filled with misery, danger, fear, despair and hatred. A city where the average family lived a squalid life in filthy, cramped quarters, where at least half of the children died at birth or during infancy, and where most of the children who lived lost at least one parent before reaching maturity. People living in such circumstances must often have despaired. Surely they must often have looked longed for relief, for hope, indeed, for salvation. And yet it was in this environment that the church flourished, 
such that, as Guy Miller told us last week, by the end of the second century, around 50% of the population of Antioch were believers. It's no wonder that it was called the City of God. The church grew at such a phenomenal rate, in part because of its hugely effective work amongst the poor and needy people who filled the overcrowded streets of Antioch. You know, after the church had collected the offering for believers in Judea, they sent Barnabas and Saul to take the gift to the apostles in Jerusalem. Both Tom Wright and John Stott, amongst others, tie this trip to Jerusalem with a visit recorded in Paul's letter to the Galatians. In Galatians chapter 2 verse 10, Paul says of the leaders of the Jerusalem church, All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Clearly, caring for the poor and needy was a top priority amongst the early Christians. It's something that characterised the church at Antioch and made it a church worth talking about. Paul says this. He says that the leaders of the church in Jerusalem said this to him when he visited. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Clearly, caring for the poor and needy was a high priority in the early church. And it was something that characterised the church in Antioch and made it a church worth talking about. You know, that's relevant to us as a church and to us as the people of God in Winchester. You know, poverty can be caused by all sorts of things can be caused by things that are outside of, our, outside of our control, like oppression, injustice, calamity, disaster. But sometimes it's a result of our own actions. I took my daughter Megan to an open day in uh, Cardiff University this week, and uh, the person who was giving a talk on finances said this, that for some students, when they get their student grant... They, because they, they don't know how to handle money, they have no idea that they blow it all very quickly. And she talked about students who, as soon as they received their grant, had gone into casinos and blown their whole term's grant on the roll of a roulette wheel. Wow. People live like that. And as a result, those students suffer in terrible need and poverty, all of their own doing. Are we a church that cares for the needy? On the surface, an area like Winchester may seem that it doesn't have any problems. And yet, that couldn't be further from the truth. There are always people in amongst us on a Sunday who are struggling with financial pressures. Indeed, in the coming weeks and months, as we hear the swathing cuts that are going to come from central government, this is going to be a time of anxiety for many amongst us. Michael Hastings made the point recently that however tough the cuts we're about to experience feel, we mustn't lose sight of the fact that it's only attempting to deal with 10% of this country's national debt. Annette was in school the other week and talking with the other LSAs. And a number of the LSAs are starting to get anxious about their jobs. Will they have a job come April? Who knows what it's going to be look, like, look like in terms of the cuts that are going to need to be made in education. 
There are several people amongst us who are struggling to find work in a difficult employment market at the moment. And others find themselves with large debts and struggling to make ends meet. You know, personal debt is a massive problem in the UK today. Credit Action says that the average household debt in the UK at this moment in time is just under £57,000. That is a massive sum of money. And yet what we see happening amongst us in the church is just a microcosm of what's happening in the community around us. We see lots of people on a Thursday night in the soup kitchen. And they're there for all sorts of reasons. Some of them struggling with mental health issues. Some of them struggling with addictions. Some of them just struggling with life. I remember, uh, I know a guy... In, who was in the street, on the streets in Swansea and he ended in the, on the streets in Swansea because he came home one day uh, unexpectedly, walked into the house and he found his wife in bed with somebody else. He literally ran out of the house and went and lived on the streets. People are suffering for all sorts of reasons. We live in a world full of needy people. Poverty reflects the ongoing breakdown of the social fabric of this country. Why is caring for the needy such a huge issue for us as a church? There are many reasons, but I want to draw out three today in order to provoke us to take more seriously God's challenge to care for the needy. The first thing is this. Caring for the needy is a reflection of the Father heart of God. In James chapter 1 verse 27 it says this, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. In the message version of the Bible, God urges his people to speak up for the people who have no voice, for the rights of all the down and outers. Speak out for justice, stand up for the poor and destitute, we're told in Proverbs 31 verses 8 and 9. You see, the Bible cuts right across what most people outside of the church think God is like. You see, we live in a world where people regularly accuse God of indifference to the billions of poor and needy people. If there's a God in heaven, how can he allow this world to be full of such suffering and such poverty and need? And indeed, the statistics are shocking. Almost half the world, over three billion people live on under £1.60 a day. £1.60. You couldn't even buy some sandwiches from Marks and Spencers for that. According to UNICEF, 22,000 children die each day due to poverty. And they say, UNICEF say this, they die quietly in some of the poorest villages on earth far removed from the scrutiny and the conscience of the world. Being meek and weak in life makes these dying multitudes even more invisible in death. And yet the Bible tells us that the state of the world does not reflect a God who is indifferent and distant. The Bible tells us that mercy comes from heaven. 
From the beginning of the Bible, from the opening chapters of Genesis to the end of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, Revelation, we read of a God who is merciful. The the Old Testament has much to say about the poor and needy. As you read through the Old Testament, you read how uh, Israel, the people of God in the Old Testament, were told that when they harvested their fields, they were to make sure that they left some stuff behind. They didn't clear the fields of everything. They were to leave bits of grain. They were to leave ears of wheat so that the poor and needy could follow behind and they could glean and pick up food for themselves. God instructed his people to make provision for the poor and those who had nothing. The prophet Amos tells us that as far as God is concerned, ignoring the poor is as bad as adultery. And yet words are easy. If God is so interested in the poor and needy, what's he doing about it? Well, the good news is this. God didn't just, well, he didn't wave a magic wand. Actually, God got his hands dirty. 2,000 years ago, he got personally involved and he broke into human history to become a man like us. The Bible makes it clear that this Jesus that we were singing about this morning is the image of the invisible God. The Bible says that he came from heaven to earth to show us what God is like. Someone once said that Jesus is the most perfect photograph of God that's ever been taken. Jesus was clear about his mission, clear about his purpose. He came from heaven, we are told, to bring good news to the poor. He came to do what God wanted him to do. You see, God cares deeply about poor and needy people. Not surprisingly, Jesus' teaching reflected the heart of God. He was outraged when he saw people being exploited. He spent much of his time helping the needy. In Matthew chapter 8, just take one chapter, we read he touches and heals a leper. Someone whose society had shunned. No one would go near a leper. No one, they had to walk with a bell ringing unclean, telling people around that they were a leper and that if they went near them, they were at risk of catching the disease. So for Jesus to go and touch a leper was incredible. As you read through the rest of the chapter, you read how he heals a despised centurion servant. The Roman centurions were feared and hated by the Jews and yet Jesus heals his servant. And then at the end of the chapter you read how he set free and healed all who came to him. Luke summarizes what Jesus was all about when he says that Jesus went around doing good and heal, healing all who were under the power of the devil. Jesus reflected the heart of God for those in need, and so should we. Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan is actually Jesus' response to someone who asked him the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in response to that question, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, which we all know. 
Tim Keller, in his book that's been recommended to us, says this. It appears Jesus sees care for the poor as part of the essence of being a Christian. You see, when we come to faith through what Jesus did on the cross, we enter into God's family. We become part of the family of God and as such we bear the family likeness. Just as Joe and Meg bear my likeness because I'm their father. We bear our father in heaven's likeness. We should be sons of our father, we're told in Matthew chapter 5 verse 44. The message of the gospel is that those who have received mercy should be merciful. The greatest text I think on this subject is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 where Paul says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. So that you through his poverty might become rich. You know, each one of us are poor and bankrupt before God. All our acts to impress God, Isaiah tells us, are like filthy rags. We can't impress God. And yet Jesus takes all our filthy rags and in exchange he gives us his righteousness. So that we now can stand in God's presence clean, accepted by God because of what Jesus has done. He has given us the very riches of of heaven. Nikki this morning challenged you. If you've come here this morning and you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, you've never come to receive the riches of heaven, to give God all your filthy rags, all your efforts at living a good life. If you've never come to him and said, God, forgive me for all the things I've done wrong. Please forgive me. You can receive that today through what Jesus did on the cross. By receiving the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God, you can receive new life today. You can start life today as a new creation, part of God's family. That can be yours today. That's on offer today. As we understand what God has done for us, our perspective to those in need changes. Our attitudes changes, on our heart attitude changes, so that on the inside, we recognize that we were just like them. We were bankrupt, we were poor. We may not have been in their physical condition, but we were poor, needy and destitute before God. But God has shown us mercy and because of that, we want to show them mercy. Our attitude should be... They are outcasts. I was an outcast. And so the motivation to care for them is never to be because of guilt. It's because of the mercy we ourselves have received. It's because Jesus is so precious to us. We are so amazed by his love for us. So amazed that we want to be like him, whatever the cost. You see, when Agabus prophesied famine to the church in Antioch, the believer's first response wasn't, famine, oh my word, quick, let's get to the local supermarket, let's buy up sugar and bread, let's buy up some tins, let's stock up, because there's going to be a famine. You know, when we hear that there's, uh, there's a sugar shortage, what do people do? They go and clear the shelves of sugar. That's what we do, don't we? We look after number one. 
these believers in Antioch, when they heard that there was going to be a famine, when God said there's going to be some trouble, and they, they were provoked, stood in their heart, not to go out and buy for themselves. We need to help others. Who can we help? Oh, the believers in Judea need help. We will help them. They were provoked to do something for others, not to look after themselves. The believer's response was a concern to care for others. What can I do to help those that are in need? The big question for us is, do we have the Father heart of God? Or are we always saving up for a rainy day? Maybe our attitude is looking around saying, well, they've got, looking at other people saying, well, they've got more than us to give. Why doesn't God provoke them? They've got, they're really wealthy. They've got a really big house. It's so easy to project and push on to other people without allowing God to deal with our hearts. The challenge is to us. Are we like the Macedonian believers Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 and 2? Solve this equation. Severe trial, this is what the Macedonian believers face. Severe trial, overflowing joy and extreme poverty. I mean I wasn't very good at maths in school. I struggled with equations. But I tell you, the solution, the answer to this equation is remarkable. Rich generosity, trial, trouble, persecution, joy, extreme poverty. That should make me want to do what? To be rich in generosity. That is the heart of God. That is the Father heart of God. Secondly, caring for the needy is a response to faith in God. When God broke into my life when I was 23, I was involved in uh, 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 helping lead a group of young people in a church in Swansea, about 60 young people. And uh, when God dealt with us, he dealt with the, the whole group of us in quite a remarkable and dramatic way. And the result of that was actually we were provoked, stirred to want to do things for those that were in need. And uh, one of the really tough parts of Swansea is a place called Town Hill. Uh, it's a very needy area, it's quite deprived. And one of the things that we were provoked as young people to do was that we, we, we decided we wanted to do something for people in for, for kids in need. So we went to social services, we asked if we, could, uh, we were going to do a Christmas party for some of the most deprived children, and we asked if they would help us with that. So they gave us a list of names, we invited them along to a party, we uh, put on a spread, we, uh, out of our own money we raised enough money to buy each of these 30 to 40 kids uh, a 20 to 30 pound uh, Christmas present. We put on a spread for them, we entertained them, we all dressed up in costumes and gave them a great Christmas party. As a youth group, we were provoked about helping others. We, uh, went, on, we, we went out raising money on charity walks. We remember, we went up Snowden and raised over £1,000 for the blind. We set up a social fund amongst ourselves as young people to help those amongst us who couldn't afford to go on weekends away and stuff that we were doing. 
You see, because we were so caught up with God, so in love with Him, there was, God did something in our hearts about caring for those less fortunate than ourselves. We had received the grace of God in quite a remarkable way, and God provoked us to want to help others. And in the New Testament, it's clear that mercy is a test of genuine faith. John says this in 1 John 3, verses 16 to 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Wow. James reiterates it in James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food and one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed. But does nothing about his physical needs? What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Wow. What a challenge. How on earth do we do it? Well, first and foremost, we need to be filled with God's Spirit. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me to bring good news to the poor. It's the Holy Spirit doing a work within us. We need to be filled, a people filled with the Holy Spirit. And yet the the New Testament also gives us some very practical advice. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, we're told this. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. You see, our starting point is to make sure we care for those in our own family and those that are related to us. My uh, stepfather is, uh, has rheumatoid arthritis, is struggling to live by himself, and his daughter, she's a, she's a Christian, a lovely Christian, she has decided, she's, gonna, she's moving in to look after him for a period, because he can't look after himself. You may think, oh, that's easy. Let me tell you, her husband at the moment is, has terminal lung cancer. And without a miracle, he will die. And in the midst of that, she is looking after her father. You see, the poor and needy should be helped first and foremost by their closest relative. Paul reiterates that to Timothy. And after that, we are to help those who are genuinely needy Christians. The church, the family of God. We're told to repeatedly care for those needy in our midst. How does that work out? Well, it may be that there's some amongst us who have loved ones in hospital and they can't get there. And actually, offering to take them to hospital may be a way that you can help them. Maybe it's practically in terms of uh, they're struggling uh, financially and they, uh, they're struggling with food and you can actually do something. I know stories of people who've turned up on people's doorstep with bags of food with people who are just struggling financially. You may be thinking, well, are they genuinely needy? What if, what if they're taking advantage? Don't worry. 
They probably, they probably will be. They may be. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if people are taking advantage. It's about your heart before God and what God is saying to you. You see, we're to care for those in our midst. But finally, we're to be those who do good to all people. Tom Wright, in his commentary, Acts for Everyone, puts it like this. The church should always be open to the cry of the poor from whatever quarter it comes. That's why we took up an offering for Pakistan the other week, for those suffering in Pakistan. That's why Why the other week is involved in a charity called Compassion, helping children, disadvantaged children around the world. You see, as we care for the needy, we should always be prepared to give of our best, and not just the leftovers. Antioch gave its best in terms of resources and in terms of the people it sent. It sent Barnabas and Saul, felt the very best. In Acts chapter 6, where we read about the early church, we read about the apostles, how they used to, uh, uh, they used to distribute uh, food and aid to those in need. The early apostles used to, to do it. And it got so hectic that they were being distracted from uh, their ministry in terms of the word and in prayer. And so they released other people to do it. But they didn't just look for any old people to do it. They looked for the best people in their midst to be involved. The best people to take responsibility. Because they wanted the work done excellently. How do we put this into practice? Yesterday we had a conference on how we can help the poor. It's a real provocation to us. What can we do in our place, in our city... In our street, for people who are less fortunate than ourselves. And we should be taking every opportunity to be kind and generous and to give of our best. To do things. When we give food, when we were uh, looking in terms of, uh, we went around Asda yesterday. Our, Our motivation was, would we eat this? Not just looking for the cheapest deal on offer. Would we eat it ourselves? You see, what we put in the bag was things that we would be happy to eat. And I'm saying to Annette, I wouldn't eat that. She said, you do, because that's what I buy every week. (laughs) We give of our best. We give of our best. We value people as God values them. The Bible forgives forbids us to neglect the poor outside of the church. We live in an an unjust world, but the church should care for the poor and needy wherever we come across them. That may mean that we've got to live a simpler lifestyle. I remember hearing of a friend of mine uh, whose parents, uh, actually the, the husband did very well for himself in his career. And he made, they made a decision as a family that they were going to live, uh, what, however much extra they earned, they were going to live on a certain amount of money. And whatever else they earned beyond that, they were going to give away. They decided they were going to live a simpler lifestyle. It said of John Wesley when he died, his estate consisted of a coat and two silver teaspoons. He actually earned in his day £1,400 a year from the sale of books and sermons. And yet he decided to live a simple lifestyle. The Bible 
challenge to us is that we should be moderate and content. Wealth isn't to be stored up for ourselves. We need to have a sound theology of wealth. Someone once said, there's nothing to say you can't be a rich Christian, but you should not be a rich living Christian. Instead, we should be those who are rich in good deeds. Finally, caring for the needy will result in the favour of God. God blesses those who give to the poor and the needy. Proverbs 28 verse 27 tells us this. He who gives to the poor will lack nothing. He who gives to the poor will lack nothing. He who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. God is no man's debtor. He who is kind to the poor, we're told in Proverbs 19 verse 17, lends to the Lord. And he will reward him for what he's done. God rewards. We receive God's favour in this lifetime, but also in the life to come in eternity in his presence. And vice versa, failure to care for the poor and needy attracts judgment. You know, we know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament, how the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. And um, when you read your Bible, you, you tend to think it's because of their wicked lifestyle, because of they were sexually promiscuous. But actually we're told in Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 49 that they were, God says of them, they were arrogant, overfed and unconcerned. They didn't help the poor and needy. That was God's judgment on them. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 25 in which he explains how people will be judged at the end of time. And the basis for whether they will share eternity with Jesus or whether they'll go to hell is whether they had a living faith which expressed itself in caring for the poor and needy. Jesus will say, whatever you did for the least of one of these brothers of mine, you did for me. A rich reward awaits the generous. And as you read through the New Testament it's evident that caring for the needy was inextricably linked up and tied up with the growth of the early church. Through the early chapters of Acts, we see believers caring for the needy, and it's difficult to not conclude that there's a direct link between caring for the poor and the ongoing growth of the early church through people being saved and added. And it's the same, I think, is true in Antioch. You see, the gospel is good news for the poor. Caring for the poor is not to be an edge of church activity. The vast majority of people in the world are poor. And it should come as no surprise that the church is growing most rapidly amongst the poor. Someone once said, evangelism and mercy ministries should go together like fire and smoke. Where one is, the other should be seen. If we want to see growth as a church, and we want to see this building full of people coming to find faith in Jesus Christ, just as we have found, then I want to suggest that we must put into practice the apostolic instruction to remember the poor. Isaiah chapter 58 says this. It is talking about fasting. People going without food to... Uh, uh, 
show God that they were his people and they wanted him to answer his, their prayers. And God says this about the people's fasting. He says this, no, the kind of fasting I want calls you to free those who are wrongly imprisoned and to stop oppressing those who work for you. Treat them fairly and give them what they earn. I want you to share your food with the hungry and to welcome poor wanderers into your homes. Give clothes to the, those who need them. Don't hide from relatives who need your help. If you do these things, your salvation will come like the dawn. Yes, your healing will come quickly. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then you will call. The Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. If we want to see the presence of God and the glory of God amongst us, I want to suggest that the sort of fasting that God wants to see is not going without food and water or drink for a period. It's about caring for the poor and needy. That's what God wants to see. God wants to see us a people whose hearts are broken for those who are less fortunate than ourselves. You see, caring for the poor and needy reflects the heart of God. Caring for the needy is a response of our faith in God. Because we have received mercy, we willingly show mercy to others. And caring for the poor and needy attracts the favour of God. I just want to finish with a quote from Tim Keller's book Ministry of Mercies Ministry of Mercy this is what it says in Luke 10:37, where Jesus commands us to provide shelter, finances, medical care and friendship to people who lack them we have nothing less than an order from our Lord in the most categorical of terms go and do likewise our paradigm is the Samaritan who risked his safety destroyed his schedule and became dirty and bloody through personal involvement with a needy person of another race and social class. Are we as Christians obeying the command personally? Are we as a church obeying the command corporately? Just like us, just to take a moment in silence and just reflect before God and allow God's spirit to come and touch you maybe you just want to close your eyes maybe you want to respond to God and say God I hear this call and I want to and maybe you just feel you need to respond maybe by standing you don't have to maybe you just want to lift your hands before him maybe you just want to say in your heart God I take this seriously God you have been so gracious to me so merciful to me, I want to reflect your heart to a needy and broken world, to needy and broken people around me who don't know you. I want to care for the poor and needy just as you care for them. Maybe your response is going to be internal. Maybe you need to externalise it. Maybe you just want to stand before God. I'm going to pray in a moment. Just say, God, here I am. Send me. Use me. Maybe you just want to lift your hands before God. You respond to God in whichever way you want to. Don't worry about anyone else. 
And you say to God in your heart, God, help me be a man who has, a woman who has your heart in these days. Father, we're before you this morning. Your spirit is here. The instruction, remember the poor. Lord, it weighs heavy on us. We live in a very affluent part of the world where none of us can say we're really poor by comparison to other parts of the third world. And we say, oh God, would you, by your spirit, do a job on us, do a work on us today that changes our hearts, give us eyes that see others in need, not always thinking about our own needs, but to always be thinking about the needs of others. To practically outwork our faith by the Holy Spirit to care for those in need. Help us do that, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Musicians are going to come out and we're going to finish with a song. And at the end, after we've sung this song, there'll be a team of people over here who are part of our prayer team. They happy to pray with us. If you have needs this morning, maybe physical needs, maybe uh, work situation, difficult circumstances, and you want someone to pray with you, our team would love to stand with you, pray with you. Maybe this morning, you know you need to respond to this God who has shown such mercy to you. You want to give your life to Him. Maybe you've never put your trust in Him. Let me urge you, today is the day of salvation. You can come to know Jesus Christ personally. God isn't interested about how well you live. It's not about reaching a standard to get into heaven. It's not about your background, about whether you were brought up in a Christian family. It's not about whether you go to church. It's about whether you know Jesus Christ personally. Whether he's your personal saviour. Whether you've trusted in him and his great act of redemption on the cross to save you from sins. If you've never done that, come and talk to me or come and talk to one other team. We would love to help you take that first step to coming to know Jesus Christ this morning. We're going to sing and then we're going to close the meeting.